Choosing Christmas part two. How many is glad it's Christmas? May I see your hand? How many don't give a rip? Don't you dare raise your hand. Better be careful. This, this roof won't stop his lightning, I'm telling you. Choosing Christmas, what a great time to celebrate. We talked last week in the very first of the series. Um, how many remember the uh, talking about offending people? How many remember the phone deal? Anybody remember that? Some of you used it on me already last week and this week. <clears throat> Choosing Christmas, why, why do we call it that? In our planning time, preparation, we said, okay, there are a lot of moods that you can get in at Christmas, moods. There are a lot of things that can just aggravate the living daylights out of you. How many would say traffic does that for you? Does for me. How many of you know that just bottom line, nobody else knows how to drive like you do? Raise your hand. Just join me. That's right. I understand that. Get out there at Christmas. And choosing Christmas is you can choose to be by humbug. You can choose to be negative. You can choose to begin to hate having to buy. You can choose to begin to save the traffic. You can talk about, you know, what you got to cook, how much trouble it's going to be. You can talk about some of the family that decided to come that you didn't really want to come. You can talk about all those things. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to choose Christmas. I'm going to take the high road and believe that this is the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give it everything that I have in my heart and my mind and my attitude and in my spirit. I'm going to choose to celebrate no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance, no matter how bad the traffic is, no matter how much it is to prepare and get ready and all the decorations, I'm, I'm going to choose the high road, and I'm going to celebrate with all my heart Christmas. We know that last week we talked about a major subject, and it has to do how do you manage when people bruise you, when, when people hurt you, or they just flat out offend you. And we use Paul's writings in Ephesians 4, verse number 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through what? Through the bond of peace. Through the bond of peace. I want to manage the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And why did we say that last week? Because we said life is too short and your calling as a believer is too great to live an offended life. But somebody offended me years and years ago. Get over it. Amen? Don't keep living there. Don't keep rehearsing it. That's what we talked about. Don't let it rule your life. Put it on the altar and leave it there. You may remember that we also said that small people, small, I'm not talking about stature, small people carry big offenses. Let me just look at them wrong and they remember it forever. Let me just say one word and that's just the way. Small people carry big offenses. With offenses, we can rehearse them, and over and over, we can let them go. Today, I want to talk about another subject that really is close to home and gives us an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to choose to let the Holy Spirit speak and deal with my life. Now, to set the pace, I'm just going to ask how many, and I'm going to look at every segment of the audience. I think I'll start over here with Mike Cooper. How many of you in this section here and up there are perfect? 
you've warped your little boy already, Mike. <laughs> How many over here are perfect? How many of you know someone other than your mother and your spouse that's perfect? Okay, may I assume that there are very few perfect people in the audience? If so, say amen. You know what amen means? So be it. Don't gloat in your imperfections, okay? So there's nobody, there's no one perfect here. That being the case, last week's message should have spoken to all of us because we get offended. This week's message deals with the big issue that I'm going to talk about, about shame. In Isaiah 54, verse 4, this is what it says, do not be afraid, you will not suffer what? Shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be what? humiliated, you will forget what? The shame of, of your youth. You forget it. So you're not going to be humiliated. And that's Isaiah speaking and God speaking through him. Now, when I mention the word shame, here's what often happens. People say, you know what? I don't have any shame. I don't have any shame in, in my life. You know what you say? I've never been ashamed of anything. You are a liar. And you are not dealing with the reality because all of us, since we're not perfect, have done something that we are ashamed of. You with me? You're going to have to wake up now because this was only about a 26-minute message. And y'all going to keep on, and I'm going to run it up to 40 minutes if you don't help me out. I said, somebody say, you offended me. You, You don't like my preaching? See, you're hurting me already. Here we go. Here we go. Shame. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. The reality is we've all had seasons in our life, short or long, when we experience some shame. Often, shame is soul-crushing when it hits us. It's an identity-warping emotion that hurts. Wow, shame. You might look back in your childhood and remember the first time you ever felt shame. Maybe, uh, maybe it was because you didn't have enough lunch money or whatever the case, and, and you felt shame because most everybody else in the class had lunch money. Or you looked at your clothes and your shoes, and you thought, they're not trendy. More than one time did I put cardboard in the bottom of my, we called them tennis shoes back then, the high ankle black tennis shoes, you put cardboard. You didn't throw the box away because you know you would use it later. I was the oldest of six kids, so there were no hand-me-downs in my family. And You just take that shoe, trace that sole out on that cardboard, and you take it and slide it right in there, and hey, you were good to go again. But nobody knew that unless you put your foot up, and they could see, of course, the name of the shoe on the cardboard. It's just the way it was. We understand a little shame there that we may have experienced in some way. You see, we understand that there's a distinct difference between guilt and shame. So now I'm going to ask this. How many have ever been guilty? You go ahead and get your hand up there, piano player. 
ever been guilty? Anybody? How many of you know someone sitting beside you that's guilty right now? Just guilty. Now, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. Guilt is feeling I did bad. Shame is the idea that I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Shame is an emotion that says, since I did something bad, then I am what? Bad. If I did something bad, I am bad. All right? We're going to help you out. You're going to get redeemed. We take an action step. Because here's what we do. We connect the what with the who. We connect what we did with who we are. Because I did something bad, I am now bad. And the enemy will always crush and push you down and pull the rug out from under you and take your self-esteem away if he can. He'll always remind you of your shameful acts and the things that you've done. And if you're not careful, you don't have to have anybody out there to do that for you. The devil will sit on your shoulder and say, you're rejected, you're worthless, you are nothing. And life is filled with choices every single day. And I'd like to tell you that, that often we make bad choices. We make good choices, but we might say, I made a mistake. I made a bad decision. I made a poor decision. You know what the enemy does? The enemy will say to you, well, yep, you're nothing but scum. Yep, you're just as ignorant as your daddy was. Yep, you're nothing more than a person who continues to make the same mistakes, and that's the way your life will forever be. You will never amount to a thing. I had people told me that when I first started ministry. One man in particular, he's probably not living today. You'll never amount to anything. You're never going to do anything for God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I was becoming sanctified at that point in time, but here's what I chose to do. I'm not going to let you speak into my life to cause me to identify with what you say because I just happen to believe that you are wrong. Amen? So here we go. As long as you believe that kind of a lie, you will forever not reach the potential that God has for you. You will function out of your guilt and function out of your, your shame. And there are some things that you need to be concerned about. You see, you may, have, you may have numerous things that you say, okay, I have an addiction. Well, I know a lot of people that have an addiction. And you might feel like because I have an addiction, I am a horrible person. Because I have a sin in my life, I'm, I'll never be able to be as perfect as so-and-so is. Look at me carefully, my friend, and those of you watching online. God did not call us to perfection. He called us to relationship redemption. Amen? If you try to live that perfect life, you will miss it every single time. But if you say, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ doing my best in heart, motive, and mind, God will bring favor into your life. That is not to say it's so, okay, well, then must be okay, God. I don't have to deal with this addiction. Yeah, we continually pray and believe that God will help us, and I'm going to help you with it in just a few moments. You see, you might look in your past. You might be things that you said that season was, wow, not a good season. 
And you might suggest that in that past you're saying, but the beauty of the redemptive power, because here's what the Bible says, when you come to Jesus and you get forgiveness, he eradicates that sin in a supernatural perspective, and there is no longer a record of your sin anywhere in the history records of Almighty God in heaven. Somebody say, thank God for that. But when you internalize, because of what you did, when you internalize that you're not a good person long enough, and you internalize, you begin to behave and believe by that process that you are no good. And if you believe that you're no good, chances are you'll be no good to anyone else. But if you say, I address my mistakes, I address the error of my way, I address the challenges that I have, but I will not be bound nor will I allow my identity to be connected to those because I have a Redeemer and His name is Jesus Christ and by His stripes I have been healed and I have been forgiven. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to march forward by the grace of God. Everybody carries some form of a scar. We all do. And when you determine that you're no good, you believe that, you don't want anybody else to be any good either. You don't because you become jealous of that. There'll be no boundary when you decide, hey, I'm no good, I'm bad, I'm just bad, if that's the way it is. There'll be no boundary for you whatsoever. Your life will be damaged and flawed and dirty and ugly and impure and unlovable. And when you look in the mirror with that perception, you will begin to believe that that's the kind of person that you are. But that's not the kind of person that Jesus sees once he has laid his hand on your life. Here's some biblical counseling that, that I studied. It's called shame-based thinking. Say that with me. Shame-based thinking. About a third of you did. I'm going to have to keep the message going here. You give me one more opportunity. Shame-based thinking. All right, let's try this on. Shame-based thinking is when your identity is colored by something that you did and you start to embrace a negative view of who you are, you adopt what's called shame-based thinking. If anybody knew what I did, well, that's shame-based thinking. Let me give you three. Number one, with shame-based thinking, you become vulnerable to perfection. You think, okay, you attempt a silent shame and guilt with error-free performance, and you find it difficult to ever admit any error whatsoever, any mistake in your life. You silence the shame by performing, working harder than you've ever worked to the highest standard. And you say, look, I'm not that bad. I did it. I exceeded. I got it just right. And you become vulnerable to perfection. Listen, understand, no one is 
perfect, we are called not to live a perfect life. We are called to live a relationship life that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't get better, more sanctified, etc. But if you try to live a perfect life, you will fail, 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 fail until you turn to the redemptive power of Jesus Christ and say, by his grace, I am healed. Thank you, God, for putting up with me and all the errors of my ways. Y'all out there this morning? Amen? How many hasn't said amen so far in this service? Just one. I'm going to come back there where you're at. (laughs) He just said amen. God bless you. Number two, shame-based thinking causes you to become critical of yourself and therefore making you critical of others. You think you don't want to be in that boat by yourself. When we're very hard on ourselves, and in turn, it causes us to be hard on others. I'm going to be hard on you. We see our own faults mirrored in other people. When we see that, we become critical of their faults and judgmental of other people. Listen carefully. The more that you become judgmental of other people, the more that you do that shows the greater problem that's in you. And you can give yourself all kind of reasons to judge and point your finger at other people, etc. Understand, there are no perfect people. Everybody's carrying their own baggage and their own luggage. And everyone, if we choose, we choose to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. They perceive us because we look at our lives of critical as arrogant and self-ignorant. Number three, shame-based thinking causes one to use self-defeating thoughts as to form a protection and escape. Like, hey, if anybody ever found out, boy, if, if anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. If they do, they're never going to like me. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm, never, I'm just never going to be able to reach that place that I thought I was going to reach. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Why don't you read this book? Read some of your great Old Testament heroes. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 and find out how many perfect people made it in there. Not one of them. They all were redeemed. And when they became redeemed, it wasn't because they were error-free. It's because they stayed faithful to the task at hand. Thank you, Jesus, for that love and that relationship. It causes you to have those self-defeating thoughts. And how sad would it be to come to the Christmas season and have the history or the present reputation among those that really know you, that you sabotage opportunities all the time and you take Christmas and instead of enjoying Christmas, instead of singing the joy, instead of having the joyful relationship, you sit there like bar humbug and you sit there as miserable and you look at other people and you begin to join, begin to judge them with your finger and think, yeah, they're just fake, they're just smile, et cetera, et cetera. God forgive you, it's not them that has the problem It is you. You may have those that you know and love. You trust that trust that lash out. When you see a person that lashes out all the time, it's because they had an internal identity warping shame that is there and a weakness if they lash out all the time. 
maybe some challenge you've had is alcoholism. And you find at the holidays and at Christmas you have that weak spot. And all of a sudden, before you know it, the office party or whatever else, you begin to drink and you drink too much and you hit a drunken stupor. Do you know what the enemy will say to you? I knew you couldn't be victorious over that. And you know what? Unfortunately, some others who will lash out at you, yeah, you're nothing but a drunk and that's all you'll ever be. But what about the lady who had the adulterous relationship that everybody else was so ready to judge? He knew every person in that crowd. He knew what they did. He said, all of you with clean skirts, you got no sin. Go ahead, there's a rock, pick it up. Then he said to her, hey, nobody here left when they confronted with their own behavior there's no one left now neither do i condemn you get up be a changed person and go sin no more that's it this is only going to get better isaiah 54 actually is out of psalms it's david's writing and it's the starting text that we started with fear not you will no longer live in shame don't be afraid. There will be no more disgrace for, disgrace for you. And you will no longer remember the shame of your youth. Well, how is that possible, you might ask? Because we find in 1 John 1, 9, let's, as a matter of fact, let's read it together. Here it is. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Oh, thank you, Jesus. You just shorten this message by five minutes. Y'all ready? Y'all yes. offended me now. Here you go. One, two, three. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll do what? Purify us. Why didn't he just say, I forgive you? No, he goes on beyond that, said, not only do I forgive you, but I purify you. How many of you know that purification is a process? It's a process. It takes time. It's a process. As we understand that scripture, God forgives and remembers our sin no more. And we can say, shame be gone in Jesus' name. Someone might say, as someone said the other day, Pastor, that sounds really good. I know you're, you're so righteous. <laughs> I thought they must have talked to my mother. I told my mother that I smoked. <laughs> as a teenager, Probably later on, I don't know, 20. No, you didn't. <laughs> Mom, I did. I smoked. No, you didn't. I said, well, let me confess a lot of other stuff then. <laughs> let me just go ahead and get it off my chest now. You know, you don't have to worry. But anyway, sounds good, Pastor. I've done all those things, but how is it that I know the truth intellectually, but I don't feel it 
down in my heart. I know that I'm redeemed, but I got this challenge. I know that I'm redeemed, but I got this behavior that just nags me, and I, I, just, I just need help. Well, let me share with you something. A biblical example out of the Old Testament, God's people were in bondage. They've been in bondage with Pharaoh 430 years. Moses has been anointed. He goes and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, after a, after a little while, God convinced him that's the thing to do. He let the people go. You know, he changed his mind and went after them. And it was unfortunate for his soldiers and his people because they drowned. And here's what happened. They were delivered out of Egypt. And they were free. But here was their problem. Though they were out of Egypt, Egypt was not out of them. See, you may have a behavior that was accepted in your family, accepted in your life. You say, okay, I'm redeemed now, Jesus Christ. But that behavior, that challenge still nags at you. You see, purification is a process that he said, okay, it took a while because they kept making mistakes. Even though they're out of Egypt now, they kept making crazy moves. They turned their back on God. And finally, they came to the realization, hey, it must be something real to this thing. And we say, you see, when you look in the mirror and you say, I'm bad, I've got this scar, I've got that behavior, I've got this sin, I've got that, I've got, and you look in the mirror and the, there's no hope. I might as well quit the church, pastor. You, you, don't, you just don't know. I, I see you at church all the time, yeah? Yeah, but I'm leaving the church. I know you pay your tithes, yes, sir, but I'm... I'm leaving the church. I'm going to just give it up, throw my towel in. I just, I'm not worthy. I don't want to serve God anymore. What, what do you want me to tell them? But here's what I did. What do you want me to tell them? Well, okay. <laughs> You're going to leave the church. Now, you can still pay your tithe. You can do that online. I'm going to You had us all fooled. You dirty, rotten scoundrel. How dare you ever raise your hand in worship? You were a skunk. Don't ever walk in the church again because I'm telling you, when the people find out about you, you are done. So go find you somewhere else or find you a beer bottle somewhere and just because you will never be able to live for God. Is that what you want me to tell them? I said, is that what you want me to tell them? No. What I'm going to tell them is that's a lie from the pit of hell. What I'm going to tell them, yeah, you've made mistakes and you'll make more. That's the good news. What I'm going to tell them, what in the world would you be if you hadn't come to church and hadn't paid your tithe? But I'm going to tell them, let me tell you something. If you know so many other people in the church, you'd think you're a spiritual hero. 
If you knew what I knew about some people, I'm telling you, you might lose your faith. But here's the beauty of it. We are forgiven by the grace of God. And if the enemy's trying to throw condemnation on you, say, Satan, get behind me in the name of Jesus Christ. I am not the person that I see in the mirror. I'm the person reflected through the blood and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. I am redeemed by the grace of God. God, help me. Help me, Lord, be the kind of person you want me to be. We can never make it if we try to live that perfected life and shame-based thinking. So Israel, they couldn't get Egypt out of them, and it didn't happen. You see, the enemy will say, yeah, you hypocrite. Told a man out the other day, standing in front out there smoking a cigarette. You like the church? Yeah. It's good. Well, Pastor, I'm sorry. I had to have a drag. How many know what a drag is? Y'all smoke too. <laughs> One of the board members asked me after the first service, did you inhale? I thought, well, no. <laughs> I tried one time, but I lost my breath. <laughs> You see, when the enemy says you're broken and no good, you can say, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old is gone, and I become new. And here's what Joshua said years later about these same people. I'm a slave. My daddy was a slave. My granddaddy was a slave. My great-granddaddy was a slave. My great-great-great-grandfather was a slave. And we were that way hour after hour, day after day, month after month, year after year, century after century, 430 years. And along comes years later Joshua in Joshua 5, 9, speaking to these same people. And this is what he said, today, say today, I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. In other words, I delivered you from Egypt. Now I'm taking Egypt out of you. Amen? At this moment, say that, at this moment, read it all now with me. There is no, there's what? No more shame. So just take it. Get away from me. Get back. Yeah, you know you, yep. But it's covered in the blood. Now listen carefully. I'm going to wrap up. I ran out of notes. What that means is now the anointing can flow. <laughs> but listen, if I am forgiven, I, I can't forget. The, the devil keeps reminding me. When he reminds you of your past, you remind him of? Come on now. When he reminds you of your past, you do what? You remind him of his future. So you say, I, 
can't forget. Here it is. Forgiveness is a decision that you make not based on your ability or your skill. Forgiveness is a gift that comes from God. He has the ability to forgive because he earned it. Not just because of who he was. And we say, okay, well, you're Jehovah God. You're the Son of God. You're the Holy Spirit, so you, you forgive. No, he said, I'll tell you what. I want to come down there and earn it. I'm going to show you I have the gift to forgive you. But then how do you forget? And how do you know that you are forgetting? Forgetting is a process. I forgot. Yep. But then I remembered. See, I, I, I want to share with you, I don't live toward, there are two options in my life, I don't live toward forgetting. I live toward forgiving. If I'm living toward forgetting, I will never understand the power of forgiving. But here's what happens. If I talk about and live toward forgetting all the time, I will never capture the gift of being able to forgive. But if I focus on forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, I then have the key to be able to forget. And how do you know that you have forgotten? You may never, never have it leave your head. But then when the circumstance or the person or the situation comes up and you remember and it no longer strikes fire in you it no longer strikes anxiety in you it no longer disturbs you it no longer hurts you then you know hey i've truly forgiven because now i can remember yard talk and it don't hurt no more Y'all with me? Amen? Amen? So focus on forgiving. And if you focus on forgiving, forgetting will someday happen through the grace of God. Y'all with me? If you're with me, stand to your feet. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your touch. Here we are, a bunch of broken, abused people, sinners saved by grace, making mistakes in life. But if we let the enemy, if we let the enemy and through other people remind us all the time of what we're not, and remind us all the times of our failures and remind us all the times of our mistakes, we're still going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. But here today, with all of our hearts, we just ask you to nurture us. We ask you to reach into our hearts. And Lord, we are out of Egypt, and we want Egypt out of us. We need a direct infusion of your Holy Spirit. 
into us. So would you meet every need in this room? And if there are those carrying that big old, big old rock of shame on their shoulder, it's time they threw it down. It's time they laid it on the altar. It's time that they gave it up. It's time that once again that they had the liberty that comes through you. And that's through the power of forgiveness. Sometimes the most difficult person to forgive is the person that lives inside of us. We ask, Father, help us with that forgiveness today. So just in case there are those online and those in this room right now, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Everybody, dear Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned. I've made mistakes. I misbehaved. But today, I ask you to help me and to forgive me. I place my life in your hands. I believe by faith. You accept me just like I am. So Lord, to the best of my ability, I desire to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can have liberty. Well, Pastor, I know this afternoon is going to attack me again. Well, go ahead and confess it. Why don't you? You know, get it out of the way. Figure out a way by the grace of God. It's not by works, but it's by His Spirit. So if you have family members that are lost, my friend, don't condemn them. Love them. If in your own heart you say, wow, you skinned me alive today, notice you're still alive. And God has a power to heal you and me. If you have a family member, a son or a daughter that's hurting, that's running from God, see them as redeemed. See them as strong. I've told many people in my office who shared with the air of their ways with me, and I would say to them, you're a woman of God, though. You're a man of God. I got criticized for that. How dare you say that? How dare you say that? Because I believe sometimes we need to remind people who they are. Because often the devil will so blind them, they'll forget who they really are. And I want to tell them, hey, now live to that person. Not the person that you feel broken, but live to the person that's redeemed by the grace of God. Pastor, are you saying go out there and do whatever you want to? Nah, you won't get too far. You won't get too far. That old Holy Spirit will hound you and you, you'll be there. So if you need to get in this altar and you have shame in your heart, I had, this is delivering news for some of you. I had two or three people over the years that I've wondered the Lord, but the two or three that I'm thinking about, and they were nasty their whole life. I mean, they did everything under the sun, gamble, drink, drugs, womanized sex everything you can imagine and when they got saved they attached themselves to me and i'd say you're a man of god now but pastor i said boy i tell you what i thought i got rid of that language the other day somebody pulled out in front of me and before i knew it i had smoked them buddy yeah okay do you use sign language no but i wanted to i said praise god 
but two of them died. And I was there at their deathbed. And they still wanted to know, just be sure. Pastor, you think I'm, you remember all the things? Yeah, you're good. You think I'm going to make it in a dying voice? I, I remember holding their hand and said, you feel my hand? Let me tell you, the next hand you're going to feel is the hand of Jesus. And you'll know it's his hand because there's a scar in it. You're safe. You know what? The devil just kept trying to make them believe that they were not good enough. But when they died, buddy, they realized what it meant for the grace of God to draw them in. Don't live in fear. Live in victory in Jesus' name. You need prayer. You come now. We'll sing. I'll give the benediction. Stay with me. Stay in your seat. Except come forward right now. Here we go.